Hi, Southeast. Uh, it's so great to be able to speak with you today. Uh, I am always encouraged and uplifted whenever I get the opportunity to talk with Ryan and hear stories about what you all are doing and what God is doing in your midst. Um, we're here in Dayton, Ohio, and we're doing our best to ask similar questions about what's it look like to be faithful as we try and follow Jesus uh, in 2022. And uh, the, we're finding that the answer to that question looks a little different than it's looked in the past. And I feel as though we are uh, journeying a bit together uh, in, in, in answering these questions. And so it's always great uh, to hear about the way people are leaning in to the good news of Jesus uh, and the ways that you are uh, living these things out together uh, where you are um, and in your neighborhoods and, and with the people around you because uh, it, it can feel like we're out here doing all our own. We can feel like uh, sometimes that uh, we wonder whether or not anybody else is doing things differently or if there's another option. Uh, and, and it's just nice to know uh, that we're not. That, that God is as is at work in new ways uh, in this in the spaces and the places around us. And so I, I just wanted to share that off the top and say how much I'm encouraged by by you all and by what I hear God is doing with you and um, and how much that reality makes me excited to dig into Acts chapter two and to and today's verse. Um, this part of the book of Acts is one of my favorite parts of all of scripture. There are very few passages in Scripture that have stayed with me throughout my ministry like this passage has, um, and, and it's one of my favorite parts of Scripture to talk about. And I'm hopeful that as we dig into it today, uh, some of what I have learned and some of what I think God has said to me about this passage uh, will be enlightening for you all and help in your journey too. As we dig in today, I, I ask you uh, would join me in praying. Uh, that we would have ears to hear what, this, what the Spirit has to say. So let's pray. Uh, gracious God, we thank you that in time and place uh, that, are, that are far apart from one another and different here and there, that you are still to get, holding us all together, that you are still at work and you are still near. So as we sit and we listen, give us ears to hear as we um, seek your your wisdom and your ways in this world give us hearts that are more and more shaped like yours. And where we today uh, glean from this text what it is you would have us to know. We thank you and we praise you for the life we have in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So I love thinking and talking about the church. It's one of my favorite subjects to imagine what the church can be if the church is following Jesus faithfully. I, it brings me to life. It becomes the filter through which I think about a lot of other things of the faith. Uh, it is absolutely the heart of the call uh, that God has given me over the years. But one of the things that I find can happen, both in me and in other folks, when we start to talk about the church, um, is that we can... We can pluck it up out of reality and kind of make like a, a weird 3D model of it in our heads. And we can spin it around and we can look at it and we open it up and we, we pick at it and we prod at it and we think about it um, kind of as this thing that exists in a vacuum. It has no beginning. It has no end. It has no context. It just kind of lives there. And we think, 
okay, well, if this is a church, then it's supposed to have this, and it's supposed to do that, and we're going to have these practices, and we're going to do these habits, and we're going to live out the faith of following Jesus like this in this floating vacuum kind of church. But the reality of it is, is that no church has ever existed in the vacuum, in a vacuum. We've all existed in a context, in a neighborhood, in a time, in a place. And the church, the church as we know it throughout history, not only exists in those times and places where they are, but exists in a very unique space in the story of God. And it's that piece that I think is really important for us today as we come to Acts 2, verse 43, and we say, what is going on in this story, and what can we learn about following Jesus faithfully together uh, from this passage? Uh, So I want to read... The, the verses that you guys have been going over and over again, verses 42 to 47, um, so that we have those fresh in our minds. And then I want us to take a step back and ask specific questions about uh, Acts 2.43 and the context that all of this is happening in and how that can help shape our understanding. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Awe came over everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as, as any had need. Day by day, they, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So we find in this passage this picture of the very earliest of churches. This this large group of people uh, who were all people who responded to the the movement of the Holy Spirit and and to Peter's first sermon on Pentecost and, and said, I am responding and following this Jesus. And that means we're going to have to do some things differently together. And they started living this life uh, with one another. And they would meet in homes, and they would meet in public, and they they would go about these things day in and day out. And we can always, we've always in the church looked back at these passages for guidance and direction. And and today we're going to look at this 43rd verse. We're going to move on from those four characteristics, those four things that the text says they devoted themselves to, um, which I love. How, how much you all have dug into that those passage those those four attributes those four practices and asked the question what's it mean to devote ourselves to these sorts of things and what other things are we devoted to in our lives and now that the passage shifts and it starts to talk about well what's what happens when a group of people devote themselves to these sorts of things what happens when a group of people are devoted to the apostles teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. What does that look like as it's lived out day in and day out? And these passages help fill out that picture for us. And it begins in chapter in verse 43 with this very interesting and, and somewhat mysterious verse that tells us that, that awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And so we have this picture of, of 
all the people that are witnessing this thing happen. They're witnessing these people living this out to get this life out together. And we're realizing that like by living this life out together, people are in awe. They are, they are curious. Um, the, the word actually is, is the, the Greek word phobos, which is where we get phobia and fear. There's a bit of, there's this element of fear. And, and in older translations and some other translations, they lean more heavily often into this language of fear. And, and we kind of often want to tamp that down and say, well, I mean, they're not afraid. And, I, and to, to a degree, that's true. I, I, I don't love the idea of painting pictures of God where we have to, you know, cower in fear and terror of, of this God who we say is love, but also be afraid and, and cower in fear, right? So I understand that, that impulse. But there is an element of fear, right? Like, have you ever come across something that's totally new and so totally different? And even if it's good, even if it's, even if it's not scary, it can make us uneasy. It can make us afraid. It can make us wonder and, curi- and make us curious at the same time and all these things. But it can, it can have an element of fear to it as well. As we step out on the image, the, the image I often use is the idea uh, of, of following Jesus in faith is like stepping out on the edge of ice and you're not quite sure where the stable part is. You're not quite sure which part of the ice you can stand on that's going to support you and hold your weight. And so you, 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 you might be really curious, you might be really excited, you might be really um, uh, it might be a positive experience to want to keep moving out onto this ice, but you're also doing it with this element of, of wonder and fear and curiosity about which part of this ice is going to hold my weight. And I think that's a lot of what's happening here in this passage. And I think this element of there being awe and fear and curiosity and wonder about what's going on with this group of people draws us into... I think one of the the fundamental ways that we have to take our questions about the church and put them back into their real context in real life. And that is this understanding that for the people who are living this life out, the people of this first group of, of the church, these people that have responded to Peter's sermons, they're not imagining that they are a part of an organization or a group or, or forming a uh, kind of a new alliance or whatever. At the very heart of what it is that they believe they are stepping into is the belief that all of reality has changed in Jesus. That when you look back over the long story of Scripture, for Jesus to come and to say that the kingdom of God is near, for Jesus to come and, and live his life and his ministry and enact the things that he has enacted and to call the people around him that he has called and to do the things that he, he did that led to his death and then to be raised from the dead and to proclaim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, that he is going to sit at the right hand of the Father and all of this, this exalted language that Jesus used about himself, especially after his resurrection. That it wasn't just that the story of Jesus had a happy ending. But it was that the promises that God had made 
throughout all of history to his people, promises that were meant to be fulfilled in the life of Israel and then be lived out for the sake of all of the world to address what has been wrong from the very beginning, all of those things have been fulfilled in Jesus. And that unexpectedly almost, um, in, in ways unheard of and unimagined, the work that God had, won, had long promised to do to make all things new, uh, to, to restore the world and to bless the world, all of those promises had been begun and fulfilled in Jesus. And if that's true, then all of reality has changed. And if all of reality has changed, then now we are invited to live into something that's radical and new and different um, and, and life-giving and scary. Because the reality of it is that, is, is that if all of reality has changed because of Jesus, then we have to face the reality of change itself. And I want to I lean in a little bit to this concept of, of what's it mean for all of reality to be changed because I think there are ways we can get our heads around that and then we can, we can also say like, well, but not like that either, right? Um, once upon a time, I would have offered, uh, if you were to say, well, when's a time in history that everything has changed? I would have likely offered uh, something like 9-11. Uh, that was certainly a moment in history the events of 9-11 changed the way our society functioned in all kinds of ways. We did different things. We, just air travel in general, right? You have to do things you couldn't do before. The movie Home Alone. I don't know how you make that happen today. Uh, with all of the security and all the checkpoints and all the moments where you're going to have to stop and go, well, wait a minute. Where is this child that we have left behind? Because everything changed after 9-11. Uh, similarly, now, though, the thing that obviously comes to mind is, is COVID. COVID has happened and now everything has changed. Whatever, whatever happens and unfolds for the next generation will be affected by what we've experienced in the last two years. And so there's a real sense in which all of, like reality has changed. Like our lives have changed. History has been changed by these events that we've experienced. But the story that scripture tells is that something even deeper than that has happened. That the very fabric and the very nature and the very potentiality and the very uh, opportunity of life itself and the quality of life itself has been radically changed at a fundamental level because of Jesus. That it's, it's, it's not just that history was going one direction and now it has the potential to go another, but that something deep inside of it has been has been altered and fixed and turned around, and now that reality is, is being poured out into the world in which we live. And the, 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 the hearers of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, the, the people that are, are now gathering, the they who are devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, are folks who have... A, believed that that level of change has happened in the world. That something radically deep has, has, been, has been different, or is different and has changed. And that now they're living in this new era, in the middle of an old era. And so we're doing it differently. And the reality is, is that change, whether it's good or bad, always means 
this, that we're losing something or there's something's different. We have to give this up for that or all whatever it is. It, change in the best of times still means loss and it still brings us fear. Um, if you ha we have two boys and when they were born, it was a wonderful change in our lives. And yet we were fearful because of the different things we were going to give up and the things we didn't know and the things that were potentially before us. Our, our oldest is now 12. And so we're entering a whole new era of change as he's becoming a teenager and all of the different questions in our society that that brings about and all of the different things he's wrestling with and we're trying to wrestle with. And that change is good. It's what we want to happen. And it's scary. And it's mystery, mysterious, and it makes us unsure. And we have to ask ourselves, what are the things we have to do, and how do we live these things out because of this change, right? And so all of that's kind of packed up into this question about, well, what's a, what happens when a group of people live this way, and why do they start out with awe and fear and curiosity and wonder? And it's because all of this has changed. All of this is different. And they're now asking, how do we live? As we go on in this, this small verse, right, um, it says that, that in the midst of all this fear, in the midst of this awe, in the midst of this wonder, um, the reason they were so like taken aback by it was because it says many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And, and, and again, we can take wonders and signs, and if you're familiar with church language, that often gets smashed together, and it's like, ah, oh, miracles. Um, if you're not familiar with church language, like, yeah, that's what usually happens. Like, if we're talking about wonders and signs, then we're talking about really crazy stuff happening that we don't quite understand, right? Whoa, miracles! It's 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 it raises questions and concerns, and and we would be curious and wonder wonder about what's going on, and maybe a little fearful, right? If somebody comes into your into your social setting, and all of a sudden they're doing wonders and signs, whatever that is, um, it makes it, it unsettles us, it confuses us, it makes us disoriented and trying to figure out what's going on here. So I want to camp out on these two words. We're going to start with signs and then I'm going to move to wonders. Um, and, and breaking them apart like this isn't necessary. They, they may hold together the same, the same meaning, but I think for today, I think in this context, what God's invited me to consider is how these words help us understand what's going on here, especially as we put all of this in the context of all of reality has changed. God is fulfilling the promises he's made long, long ago, right? And, and now these people are living out of that reality. So the first is the signs, and a sign is something that points to the reality of something else, right? Like a sign is, is there to tell you about something else. It's there to tell you uh, something that you need to understand about a thing over there or um, it's pointing to something to make sense of it. And so in this case, uh, the signs that are happening are all pointing to the reality of the kingdom of God fulfilled in Jesus and the life made possible as God unfolds his new creation in the world. They're meant to point you in those directions. And it is those signs, it's that, that, that pointing toward the direction of a reality changed by Jesus that is why the church was living out the practices they were living out. The things they were doing weren't just uh, helpful tips for how to be a better church. And they weren't just things we do because God said so. They were practices that were deeply tied to this conviction that everything had changed. So for instance, uh, the folks are looking to the apostles' teachings 
because the apostles are the people who have walked with Jesus, and Jesus is the one that is, has initiated and made possible this entire change of everything. And he's also the model for what it means to live in this new reality that's been changed because of his life, death, and resurrection. And so they're digging into the apostles' teachings and they're listening to what they're saying and they're following Jesus' model because Jesus is the one who has had victory over death, victory over evil, victory over the powers and principalities, victory over the empire, victory over, over the people who, have, who are oppressing others, victory over all that's wrong in the world. And so they embrace the teachings of Jesus given through the apostles so that they can know what it means to live in this new reality. Similarly, uh, they, they devote themselves to fellowship because part of the promises of the Old Testament, part of the promises of God throughout history is that he was going to form this new people. He was going to form this new uh, community. He was going to form this new family. And now all of a sudden, because of what Jesus has done in the world, he is taught and said and demonstrated that there is this new reality that's being created around him, this new family of people. Who, are, who, are, who, who, who draw their identity from him, who gather around him, who live a, as a part of his kingdom together, these kingdom citizens loving one another, brothers and sisters, um, caring for one another like fathers and mothers to their children, um, living as a new family and not identified by their blood, but identified by Jesus's blood, by Jesus's love, by Jesus's kingdom, by Jesus's way. And in fact, as the story of Acts unfolds, what we will find is that that's not even only a reality that's made possible for the people uh, who know the promises of God of old, but it's made possible for everyone, Jew and Gentile. It's made possible for everyone who will come to Jesus and say, I want to be a part of this kingdom. I want to be a part of this citizenship. citizenship. I want to be a part of this family. And so they devote themselves to fellowship with one another, young, old, rich, poor, male, female, all of everything in between because everything's changed and now they're a part of something new. They devote themselves to the breaking of the bread and, and the breaking of bread is interesting because there's a, there's a lot there that really has to do with them being devoted to being a people of justice in the world, to making, because we can hear the word justice and it gets thrown around a lot today in ways um, good and bad. Um, but biblically speaking, or, or the way that the Old Testament just talks about justice, the way we see it lived out in the lives of the people uh, throughout Old Testament, th th throughout the Old Testament, the way justice is imagined in the life of Scripture is that justice is this reality where people have what they need, where where the society together, the people together, ensure that those who have and those who don't have care for one another. That you lift folks up, even if that means you have to step down so that they have what they need. And we see that practiced in the life of the church. We see that as they're breaking bread. Um, and e there's, there's always a question around this breaking of the bread. Are they talking about like the Eucharist, like Passover, like communion? Are they talking about what Jesus did in the upper room before he was, about, he, before he was crucified? Um, is, it, is it this religious rite where they're, they're, they're practicing the remembering, or is it a meal? And it seems like the answer might be yes. Like it's both of these things. They're using meals as a, as a, as a way to share with one another, and then they're also using those meals as a way to remember the 
the grace and the forgiveness and the salvation of Jesus, and both of those things together are a picture of the justice of God lived out in the world. And so they devoted themselves to that practice to shape themselves and remind themselves that in this new reality, we care for one another and we seek the best for one another and we overthrow structures and we reshape the way that we live and we do the things that we do in order for the beauty of the kingdom to be lived out. And lastly, they devoted themselves to the prayers because they are a people who believe they are living with God, that they, that they are living and communing in a relationship with God. And this God is the God who's changed everything. This God is the God who's given life to everyone. This God is the God who created everything from the very beginning. And so they're, they're becoming this new people and they're living out these signs and they're, they're seeing these things lived out among them. And they're doing all of it because God has begun to remake the cosmos. God has begun in Jesus to make all things new. God has begun in Jesus to reconcile, to repair, and to, to heal everything that is broken. And so, to the extent that signs and wonders are speaking about healings and miracles and strange occurrences that we can't explain, it makes little sense if now all of a sudden we're not just talking about a religious organization or a group of people that are trying to like have some new practices about life, but instead we're talking about a community of people who truly believe. God is doing something to change fab the very fabric of reality at its core to bring healing and restoration and goodness and wholeness. And so now, yeah, maybe the, the healings that are taking place in their midst are still, are still bizarre and still shocking and still, wow, that's amazing. Um, but they make some sense because if God's making all things new, that's going to mean some broken things get fixed and some sick people get made well and, and some, 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 Bad things get made good and dead things come to life. But it also begs the question, why not all the things? Right? Like, why not, why not all the things get made right? Why not all the sick people get made well? Why not all the poor people get made rich? Why not all the... And the answer um, that I have is that I don't know. I don't know. But I think this comes, this brings us to why the second half of this phrase is not just signs, but it's also wonders, because the wonders to me connotes the idea of mystery and question and, and, and asking ourselves, well, why, why are these things happening the way they're happening in our midst today? And why are other things not happening in the ways that, that, that we might want them to? And if we back up further into the beginnings of Acts chapter 2, I think it's important, it acts as, a, as an important reminder for us that all of this is flowing out of the work of the Holy Spirit blowing in the day of Pentecost to breathe life into the church who's trying to live as the people of God as the world is changing. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, as we understand the Holy Spirit in the church, is a person. It's a part of God. It's, or it's, it's God in spirit at work in the world, and I don't always understand what that looks like, and I don't have a good analogy for what that means in relationship to the Father and to the Son. And, but what we do claim and what we do believe 
is that the Holy Spirit is something more than an impersonal force in the world. This isn't Star Wars where the force is moving um, and binding and connecting. And if we can tune into it just right, we can lift that rock or we can, we can make ourselves run faster or, 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 or see the future or do those sorts of things. No, for the Christian, the Holy Spirit is a person. And so the person has a will and a way, and we might not always understand it, but we can trust that that person of the Holy Spirit is always good in what they do. And, and so as we hold those two things together, we realize that it's, it's this Holy Spirit who's blowing life into the world and, and engaging Almost, almost breathing life into the work that Jesus has accomplished to bring it to bear in the life of the community of the church, we don't always know how that's going to play itself out. And yet the Spirit is what draws us all together and means that the church can actually be the wondrous sign in the world that we live in that God is doing a new thing from the very... Like, that reality really has changed. That the Spirit alive and at work in the lives of the church that are living these things out is the kingdom witness that says God has really changed everything. As he draws us together, God has really made all, is beginning to make all things new in Jesus. And so the final question for us today then is, if reality has changed from the very beginning, it, or, or, or from the moment of Jesus' resurrection, if, 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 if Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has changed everything, um, if, if, if the Spirit of God has been poured out to enact that reality in the world and make all things new and to begin God's new creation project in the world, what does that new reality look like for us today? Does it look just like this group of people 2,000 years ago? Um, does it look just like what they were doing? And, and I, think, I think that's the question we're all trying to answer. And I think that in some ways the answer is yes and the answer is no. It's going to look a little different because everything is different from what it was then. But at its core, it's going to be the same, right? At the core, we're going to have to answer the questions of what does it look like to be a people who believe we can really live a life with God? That's, that's a tough question to answer, especially when we have things like telescopes that are bringing back pictures of the cosmos that show us just how big everything is. What's it mean to be a people who say, yeah, but we can still live in relationship to a God who can create all of that? What does that look like? What kind of prayers do we have to pray? What kind of spiritual practices do we have to live into if our imaginations are being reformed around a cosmic reality that's bigger than we've ever known it to be? There's good news there to be had. What's it look like today in 2022 in the, in the places that we live to say we want to be a just people. We want to be a people that make sure that those around us have what they need. 
whether that's food, whether that's shelter, whether that's clothing, whether that's dignity, whether that's respect, whether that's opportunity, whether that's safety. What's it look like? What practices do we have to undertake today that are different from what they did then, but are driven by the same reality that if God has changed everything in Jesus and a new reality is being broken loose into the world and we are a part of that, what's that look like? What's it look like to say we're a new family formed around Jesus? Something more extended than than who we're married to or the children we have or the people who birthed us or the people we share blood with. But what's it look like to say we are a new family and you can belong here? Not just here, but with us day in and day out because we care about you and we love you because Jesus has changed everything. And what's it look like for us to live as the people shaped by Jesus and informed by the teachings of those who have gone before us? What's it look like to imagine a reality in the shape of the cross and resurrection of Jesus in 2022, where we live today? I dare say that if the Spirit enacts that in us, it will be wondrous. And it will be a pointer to the kingdom of God. And it might make us and some other folks um, a little curious, a little in awe, and probably a little bit afraid. But then again, everything's changed. And that's good news. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you that you have been at work in this world, making all things new, that you've never left us nor forsaken us, that you want to see your creation as beautiful and all as aspiring as it is, to, to be fully all that it can be in you. We pray your spirit would shape us and transform us and bring us to life so that we might be a sign to your kingdom as we live life together. Lead on. Encourage us when we're afraid. And go with us so that all we do will be shaped by your son Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.